1: Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Pennsylvania Woodsman Podcast. I'm your host, Mitchell Shirk, and as you can probably tell, um, I'm kind of losing my voice this week. I was, uh, we were dealing with kids getting sick. We had uh, week one, our oldest, the three-year-old, uh, he got some kind of crazy infection, and he was sick and miserable for almost a week, I mean, five days of a fever and coughing and sore throat and you know, had to get some antibiotics and, you know, started feeling better. And about the time he wrapped up with that, then the one-year-old was sick and we were dealing with him being sick and pushing teeth and everything else. And uh, both boys are doing fine now, but now uh, this week I woke up and I got a scratchy throat and losing my voice. And, yeah, just uh, par for the course. It's just all the phase of life and just rolling with the punches. And speaking of just rolling, man, you want to talk about uh, just – Everything piling on at once this time of year. When it comes to this time of year, as far as busy, I mean my, uh, you know, this time of year is in in agronomy and and walking fields and working with growers. This is just a busy time of the year, and you know I'm never ever ready for it. And uh, then it gets here and it comes and hits you like a freight train. And just covering lots of ground, driving, putting lots of miles on, and having tons and tons of calls. This year has been extremely, extremely stressful. It's like a year I've never experienced before. And there's a couple reasons for that. I mean, last year we had a a massive drought. It impacted uh, my clients greatly. And there's a lot of stress and anxiety over that. Now we're going into this year. Uh, We haven't had a measurable rain since April 27th to the 29th, which would have been opening weekend of turkey season. You know, a lot of the places that I'm working, we had somewhere between three and six inches of rain, and it all came in a very short amount of time. You know, at that time, we were down, for annual rainfall, we were down about four inches, excuse me, we were down about four inches of rain or so, and you know, very abnormal, we're dry, right? And a lot of people on paper say, well, hey, we made up for that just in a short amount of time. And the problem with that is we don't retain a lot of that moisture. When it drives through that much, you know, there's so much runoff that goes out of a field and into, you know, creeks and ditches and everything else. And we, we don't retain that in the soil. And here we are a month later. And we've just got very, very little soil moisture. We've got relatively cool soil temperatures, and we haven't been hitting those 90-degree temperatures yet. But we don't have much longer until we're going to start to really, really see some stress on crops. And that's uh, that's got a lot of us concerned. Uh, you know, another thing, we had a, we had a frost, a 24-degree a night in some parts of the states, maybe even colder. Uh, May it was like May 18th or something like that you know uh, Thursday last week and uh, that that cold caused a lot of problems for growers so you know I'm getting calls for replants and looking at you know fields extra and you know concerns of what this is going to do to a pollinating wheat crop and I know I'm, uh, am I'm, I'm talking at you guys and some of you guys are probably, you know, not really uh, interested in this or, or, you know, it's just me venting, but that's surely what it is because this has been a very, very stressful year for, for growers and for myself so far. And, you know, this is just, is just the beginning, you know, we've got a whole growing season to go through and, uh yeah it makes me nervous on the, on a lot of things from farming, and you know that that's gonna obviously trickle down into your food plots. I think it just goes to show how important it is to run a system that is very healthy for your soil. having your soil actively growing, active roots, living roots holding the soil together, aggregation, uh, root channels, microbiology that'll allow water to infiltrate. Uh, Also, you got to keep in mind that above ground biomass or something growing is going to insulate the soil from driving rains. You know, I'm dealing with a lot of soil crusting. You know, the the water hits the ground so fast and it basically seals the ground off uh, when the rain stops and we start to get some sunshine on it. So just you know adverse soil conditions, but you know anybody who is doing things, you know, following things like the concept that uh, they have at vitalized seed and uh, running a system of uh, of microbiology that's going to, you know, recycle nutrients. Always have something growing. Always have the soil covered. You know, stuff like that is going to have a much better buffer against these adverse extreme conditions. So yeah, it's just been uh, been crazy. But uh, we're rolling, and uh, coming off of turkey season, I, I got one more fun fun episode kind of wrapping up the turkey season plan for you guys, and I'm hoping you enjoy that one. But before we get to that one this week, we are going back in the archives a little bit. So I did an episode with a fellow host, uh, fellow host from Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network. Uh, he's a guy that's had a podcast for a long time, and he's also got a fantastic, fantastic YouTube channel, and I encourage you guys to check him out, and um, I'm talking about Parker McDonald from Southern Ground Hunting, and Parker is just one of those really determined, driven guys, uh, loves the great outdoors, and loves loves to do it his way, and you see that passion in his videos. But the thing I love about Parker's videos is the the quality and the, the effort and time that he puts in his videos for such a quality viewer experience. And I wanted to have him on last year. And uh, I kept this episode, and I uh, was was gonna bring it last year, but decided to to hold on to it till this time of year because, you know, I think listening to this episode now, if you're somebody who's been on the fence or kind of started, or you're looking for equipment, this is a great episode because Parker goes through the equipment he uses and the the ins and outs and the hows and whys of what he does from editing to uh, equipment in the field and set up maneuvering things like that stuff that's uh kind of important when you're learning this on your own and uh it, you know it's a lot of work uh you know some of the work that he goes through to make this hunt come to life on camera for me there's no way I, I would be able to do it just because I don't have that level of patience with technology and uh I, I just for me personally right now at this point in my life I don't have the value for doing that on my own hunts now i'm thankful for people like parker that do it with theirs and it's entertaining it's one of those things i love to watch when i'm trying to escape uh you know the the reality of of life and and watch them hunting because we love hunting right so parker's a great guy we're we're loaded with great information great facts and uh, i think you guys will enjoy this and, and hopefully you get going Man, I tell you what, I think it's time for me to stop talking because, man, I gotta get a sip of water, Mm. because I am completely losing my voice, and uh, maybe better that we're doing an episode that I recorded a a few months ago because I don't sound this raspy. Before we get to this episode real quick, I just want to give a shout out to our partners, and I gotta start off with Radix, guys. Radix is a company it just has quality in mind. If you if you haven't, if you're on social media, Instagram, follow Radix Hunting. They post a lot of great pictures um, from their trail cameras. And the reason I bring that up is because their quality of their images, to me, sets, sets the bar for everything else. I think they've got great quality images, and they're a great, great quality camera. They're easy to use. And uh, they've got everything you would want at an affordable price in a camera. They really do, from their Gen 600s up to their M-Core cell cameras. uh, Really, really uh, really hard to beat, in my opinion. And uh, also, i got to give a shout-out to Huntworth. Guys, this is a Pennsylvania-based clothing company. And I will say, you know, I've been somebody that's been so do I want to say tight or a cheap wad or something like that over the years with clothing I mean I had a hodgepodge of stuff and a lot of the time it was not very comfortable for that reason and this year in turkey season I, I ran their Elkins midweight weight uh, clothing and then when it got hotter I was running I was wearing Durham pants and uh, their fleece hoodie and I, I, I can't get over how comfortable I am I mean I truly feel like I am suiting up like an athlete in high school like going back to my days in baseball and football and suiting up and just I feel comfortable my maneuverability the clothing is quiet and it it is not going to break the bank to have something that's extremely versatile I mean I did not get uh, cold whatsoever on those cooler morning hunts and it's just like I said the the fit, the flexibility, it was all something that I really valued. And it's 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 the quality that you get from a high-end company, but you're not going to pay the high-end price. So check out them Huntworth guys. I think you'll really like it. And with that, let's get to this episode. All right. On the phone with us, another Sportsman's Empire content contributor, our friends to the south, Mister Parker McDonald. Parker, how are you? Thanks for coming on.
0: Hey, Mitch, I appreciate you having me on, dude. I'm getting fired up for the season, and pretty much this time of year, if anybody asks me to come and guest on a be a guest on a podcast, I'm down to do it. I'm so just jacked up. That's all I want to talk about. You and
1: deer you and me both, man. I've been shooting a lot lately, trying to get as much reps in because I'm I'm fired up. Uh, but uh, yeah, it's. I, I do this every year. Like you watch, watch the time go by, and I uh, think I got time. Think I got time. Like I'm trying to do this and that, leading into the season, preparing, and then flip of a, you know, flip of a switch, it's like it's over. Like I can't believe, you know, as we're recording today, it's the end of August. I just can't believe how fast this month has gone by. It, it just, yeah. it happens every year, but it's just it still never ceases to amaze me.
0: It's crazy to me now. I remember being younger, and man, that off season felt so long. It felt like, it felt like honestly, like we deer hunted for a small window of time, and but the rest of the year was super long. And now I live in Alabama, and dude, it's like we're deer hunting the majority of the year, and uh, and when it's not deer season, it's turkey season. Then we just got a little short window of june and july that is off season and then august i mean i'll leave for my first hunt tomorrow for my first deer hunt i already gator hunted i did a gator hunt last weekend and tomorrow i'm leaving out for my first deer hunt of the season and it's like like i know from my wife's perspective it's like do you ever not hunt something like do we have more than just june and july but it's true dude like we have i'll start with tennessee velvet hunt this weekend the week after that, I'll go for the Kentucky opener, which is a velvet buck hunt. Um, and then the rest of September. So I was smart this year, and I booked a cruise for the end of the uh, the end of September for my wife and I to go on for our anniversary. Okay. And then once October first hits, it's from October until mid February in Alabama. Like it just, it's like. When you get to Jan- January and February and you're still hunting in Alabama, it's brutal, dude. Like, it's like, because you get three buck tags down here. And three buck tags is kind of hard to fill. Like, you can mm. fill one or two pretty easily, maybe, you know. But trying to fill three buck tags on decent deer is hard. And when you haven't done that and it's getting into January and February and you're still out there just grinding to death, it's like, man, it feels like I've been hunting since. October, because you have yeah, because you <laughs> have for like four months. Yeah, <laughs> I
1: I can't even relate to that because I mean our our bow opener in Pennsylvania is this year it's October one. Now there's there's three units in our state that you can hunt two weeks earlier from that, so the September seventeenth. But for statewide and the majority where I hunt, it's <clears throat> October one, and then we can pretty much be hunting deer most of the time from then until right about the third week in January is when we cut off. We have a couple breaks in between there, like we have a a break over Thanksgiving, Uh, there's a break over our bear season, you can't deer hunt, and then there's a break between the end of our firearm season and our late season, which is flintlock, muzzleloader, and archery. Uh, So there's a couple breaks in there, but for the most part, we can be hunting. But I mean, I know what it takes just to shoot one buck last, you know, and last year, um, I, I didn't even kill a buck. Now, part of that was my own fault, but Part of it was just too picky and time and everything else, and I didn't even kill one. It, it, was a, it was a weird season. So, like, I've been watching your channel and seeing you guys grind it out all season long and kill multiple bucks and nice ones for especially public land. like, I'm just, like, infatuated because I, I don't know what I would do with myself if I had more than one buck tag. I'd, I'd probably get really, really trigger happy.
0: <laughs> yeah, it, it does, man. It, it, like, you can't describe it, like, Whenever you're out there, and like, so last year, I didn't kill a buck um, in Alabama until December the 1st. That was the first Alabama buck I killed last year. And, dude, from October through November, not killing an Alabama buck, that that hurts. Like, it really hurts. But, once December 1st hit, I killed a buck, I killed a buck December 1st, December 7th, and December 13th. I kill all three of my bucks within like a two week window. Um, and another thing in Alabama and a lot of the South, the rut times are different than what the rest of the country is. So you'll have some of those November ruts mixed in there, but we get uh, December ruts um, where I hunt. It's usually the first two weeks of December of the prime time. And then uh, like South Alabama and some North Alabama is January and February. Mm. So it's like you can legitimately hunt the rut the whole time. The whole season, just about um, November, October, end of October, November, December, January, February, you can hunt the rut, and um, if you're tagged out in Alabama, you can still go hunt the rut in Mississippi or in South Georgia or Florida. Like you've got all kinds of opportunities to be able to do it. But back to what you said about um, like that first that first one and two buck tags, knowing that you still have another one, you're just like, I mean, if it, if I think it's halfway decent, I'm mean, going to shoot it. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Because it's, it's not over yet. You know, you, you're like, and some people aren't like that. Some people really legitimately are like, you know, I'm going to make sure it's mature. I'm going to make sure it's 130 inches or whatever. Um, but for me, if I see a buck, uh, when I've got three buck tags and I see a deer that's like, yeah, that looks all right. I'll shoot it you know, especially for one and two. Um three I can tend to be a little more picky with. Um, like last year I, I ended up shooting a buck for my third buck tag that was he wasn't that big, honestly, antler wise, but body wise and age wise, he was old, a really mature deer, and probably had I mean, honestly, he he's pushing a hundred inches. And when I walked up to it, I was kind of disappointed. I was like, Man, my season's over. That sucks. And I was like, you know what? That's a mature deer. And, and this is Alabama. Like, it's also this thing. Like, we don't have just a ton of. We don't see just a ton of bucks from the tree. Like, all through October and November, I saw a spike and a six point here in Alabama. That was it. That was all the bucks I saw. I saw I saw. I killed like six does, but I didn't see hardly any bucks because the acorn crop was so heavy last year
2: mm-hmm.
0: like we just you the bucks were not moving much because there's acorns literally every inch of the woods was covered up in acorn so they weren't moving around much they weren't going into the persimmons and um they weren't coming out of those uh those thickets you know as long as they had acorns close by they were going to just stay there and so you know we don't it's not like the, there's there's a lot of opportunity as far as tags go. The bag limits are very liberal, but the the deer hunting is tough. It really is. Um, And so, you know, shooting a 100-inch deer, I, I, I'd be, man, I would have to be at a completely different level of being a deer hunter to let 110-inch deer pass here. Because you just, I don't see them a lot. You know, it's not like I'm going to see them every day throughout the rut. I might see one or two or three that are that big, you know, but it's not, it's not normal. You and get... then, and then you start talking about passing, like, yeah, uh, I, I've heard of people up north and the Midwest where, you know, they'll pass 120, 130 year. And where I'm at, that's just like, you're dumb. If you're doing <laughs> that, you're not going to kill any deer because you're not going to see very many of those.
1: Well, I've, I've talked about that on my show a ton, like, tailor your expectations to what you're actually where you're hunting and what you're actually doing and like at the end of the day who are you doing it for are you doing it for you are you doing it for social media or like like what's it when people talk about passing deer i mean there's an educational aspect to it if you're hunting an area and you're trying to see deer go to the next age class and you know, all that stuff. I'm, I'm all for that. That's awesome. But like, you can't shoot 120 inch deer in a forest that doesn't hold 120 inch deer either. So like, right. I, I mean, I'm the same, like I've, I've, I've never been to Alabama, but watching your show, watching the places you hunt, how you access the type of habitat, the type of terrain, there's actually a lot of similarities with some of the places I hunt in Pennsylvania. Um, uh, don't get me wrong, there's differences too, but there's some similarities and, uh, I mean, it's, there's places it's tough hunting here too. And we've got deer in our state that, you know, are 160, 70, 80 inches. I mean, they they exist here, uh, but they're definitely not frequent. And like, if you sh- like that buck you shot, I watched that video of that last one you killed last year and that was a big mature deer, but he didn't have a high score in rack. I mean, there's deer that I would shoot in Northern Pennsylvania that are going to be like my my expectation is different when i'm hunting the, the public land you know near camp versus you know a private land piece close to home where i know there's more and better buck like it's just it's different and i'm okay with it but i mean I, i've seen buck and and shot buck that were like 80 inches but they were mature deer and to me that's a trophy like i was fired up to shoot that deer so i mean it's just like yeah. you know it's teach each your own but you know I, I always try with one buck tag to like do the best I can with one, and then you know. And mm-hmm. sometime when you do that, you're really holding out. You can eat tag soup in a hurry. Yeah,
0: yeah. I mean, I spend most of my time like I'll hunt not Midwest, I guess. I don't know what you consider Kentucky if it's still considered Southern uh, or not, but typically the 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 age structure and the size, overall quality of the deer in Kentucky are going to be much bigger. Than here in Alabama. Um, you know, I, I go to Kentucky once or twice a season, one or two weeks a season, and I'll probably have encounters with 130 to 150 inch deer. Like, I cannot tell you the last time, it may have been two, two seasons ago, when I saw a deer that was over 130 inches in Alabama. Mm. Uh, it was probably. Uh, and that's right I think it was two seasons ago um but like there's not a lot of them you know right. they're, they're not you may not see one all year long you may not even see like have a encounter with one all year long um but like it's the same thing with Florida if I see a guy in Florida who is consistently killing let's just say their I think their record their book here is 90 Inches or 100 inches to be like a a registry buck in Florida, so that's a substantial deer. Mm -hmm. When I see guys that are killing 70, 60, 70, 80 inch deer on public every single year in Florida, I, I feel like I have found some of the best deer hunters in the country. Because if they're doing that in a state like Florida every single year, put them in in a midwestern state for a few days, and they're probably coming out with a mature bucks like they are some of the best hunters in the country and I, I i do feel that way about like the south in general you find a guy from uh louisiana mississippi alabama georgia tennessee maybe tennessee but south carolina florida like those those guys who are killing you know consistently killing good bucks man, I, I think the South is literally full of some of the best hunters in the in the nation. Um, and that's not to that's not to, to downplay anybody else. You know, the guys that are up there in PA I know a lot of great hunters that hunt Pennsylvania and a lot of great hunters that hunt in states like Oklahoma and Missouri, like they're good, solid hunters. Um, but the guys down here in our conditions, where we where we live, if they're consistently figuring it out, then they're smart, they're effective, and they know how to adapt. If they're consistently doing it, they know how to adapt. So they could go to a state like Missouri and probably find a substantial gear pretty quick. Um, and that's why I love this place, dude. That's why I love the South. Um, and I can't remember. I think it was on my podcast. I don't remember. But I was having a conversation with somebody the other day, and we were talking about um, hunting down here, and like how appreciative I am of the opportunity to kind of cut my teeth hunt. not cut my teeth hunting in the South, I grew up in Texas, cut my teeth hunting in Texas, so I grew up hunting easy here, and uh, moved to the South after high school, moved to Alabama after high school. and. I'm really appreciative of that, even though at the time I was like, man, this sucks, dude. Like, <laughs> I'm not seeing anything. I'm not killing anything. What the heck? But it challenged me to learn and become better at it, and now I feel effective everywhere I go. I feel I'm humbled all the time. Oh, yeah. Like, I'm still, uh, I, I went to North Dakota last year thinking that it was just going to be a freaking buck fest, and it was not at all. And I ended up on the last day killing a very, very small velvet buck just so I didn't have to eat my tag but I mean so I don't get me wrong I am humble on a regular basis but I also feel more effective than a guy going from Iowa and hunting if a dude lives in Iowa and he goes and hunts North Dakota I'm probably going to be in a in a better situation than him just because of my experiences back home does that make sense if it, it absolutely of, like, makes sense hunt? and
1: what I was going to say is like I think to a degree Anybody who can consistently shoot mature buck across the country is somebody who has learned something that puts them above, uh, like on the next level. And I think those are the people that you put them anywhere else in the country, they're probably going to be successful. Now, does their learning curve look a little bit different than somebody in the South versus the North versus the Midwest? Does their learning curve look different? Yeah, but the people who I think get to that level are the ones who are driven to do so. And when they're driven to do so, it yeah. it it just it, it allows you to move forward and adapt. Um, I think that's why podcasting is so cool because you, you listen, people can take context really, really wrong. Like you, you throw any name out of a, of a big name hunter, you know, um, just say Midwest, for instance. And a lot of people think, you know, they're, they're, uh, you know, the end all be all they're the best, they're the best hunter ever. And I, I completely agree with you that there's places in the country that you put people from the South, from the North or wherever, just people who want tough conditions and put them in those different areas like the Midwest or anywhere where it's a, it's a higher odd state. It's, they're going to be successful. It's because in my mind, and you can disagree with me if you, if you do, but like it's, it's the tactics and the way you treat a mature buck because I think across the country, a mature deer is a mature deer. It's just the, the habitat and then the hunting pressure that they experience that ultimately you, you got to figure out how to actually kill them but i mean the, the the behavior of the deer i don't think is very different across the country
0: no and and the pressure is is light is different so um, like i said earlier when we first was talking about this i here in alabama our gun season runs so long it runs from beginning to middle depending on where you're at beginning the middle November uh, all the way through February the 10th, you can you can gun hunt. So you got three months of gun season. I know you guys up north and in a lot of Midwestern states, you get like two weeks. You know, yep. <laughs> two weeks and, and you're done. Everybody's got to hunt with a bow from that point on. Here in Alabama, you can go to National Forest or WMAs or whatever um, during the gun hunts and you will see trucks everywhere. There's just going to be trucks. Like there's not going to be a lot of like getting somewhere to yourself. This is largely why I use the boat to access most of the places that I hunt here, is because you you really have to worry about a lot of pressure. I've been to Kentucky, just going back to Kentucky. So during the the early season velvet hunt on the opener, there's a ton of people there. During the first week of November, there's a pretty decent amount of people there. However. It doesn't touch almost anything I've experienced in the southeast. Um, like, and then once once those few weeks are over in Kentucky, in a state like Kentucky, it's a ghost town again because most of it's a one buck state. So uh, most of these states are one buck states. So in December, once secondary rut rolls around, uh, you can go to a state like Kentucky and probably have the WMA completely to yourself because everybody's already killed for one buck. Mm. all the local people have already killed their one buck other people like non-residents aren't planning their non-resident trip for december you know they're not planning their out-of-state hunt for a late season they're planning it for november right so that rut time and so like i've been to these places where it's literally like i hunted one place in december uh no i'm sorry in like new year's in kentucky several years back and literally there was not another soul on the WMA. I was the only one hunting. You're talking about a place where during the opening week there were people from Indiana, Ohio, Georgia, Louisiana, Alabama, Tennessee, like there were people from all over the country in this one place and you go there December and January and it's a ghost town. Like there's nobody there. And those bucks still live there and they're still they're still doing buck stuff. Um, but that just goes back to show you like the pressure in a lot of these states it's all it's all relative to your own experiences right so um, I've been to uh, in hunting in Florida here in the rut and there's literally dog hunters on every corner running dog food. you want to talk about pressure like try trying to compete with a pack of dogs, four bubbas drinking beer on their tailgate set up on every single trail, um, try to still hunt deer like that.
1: I can't you even know? imagine. Like that's,
0: that's pressure. And, I mean, you've got three trucks, or, or maybe you got one truck at a gate in Ohio that you're competing with, and people are like, oh, the pressure's bad. It's like, well mm.
1: <laughs> not really. Well, you can, I can make that that claim here. I mean, years ago, I mean, Pennsylvania was known for the Orange Army and having insane hunting pressure, but there was... The, That was then and this is now. What I mean by that is 30, 40 years ago, our deer population in the state was not as widespread border to border like it like it is now. So you had areas kind of in the north half of the state, I'm going to say generally that had higher deer populations. So you had a lot of people from the southern half that went to the northern half. That's why you had hunting camps and communities and you had this big push in deer season. And there were times, and I know the mountains that I'm talking about, some of it's pretty rugged terrain. And I don't think there really was much of getting away from hunting pressure. I mean, there was Stories I hear of going back in and it gets light and there's it's a pumpkin patch all around you and it doesn't matter where you go there's pressure. Like nowadays, people still talk about pressure in Pennsylvania. And I don't get me wrong, I know there's places that do get more hunting pressure in our state than others. But I've hunted a significant section of the I'm going to say the eastern half of the state and it is not hard to get away and, and find a place to yourself in, in the big woods of Pennsylvania. And I think it's because our deer pressure spread out. We do kill more deer in archery. So that one buck limit is going to put some people out of the woods to a degree. And we do have a large land mass. I mean, it's, it's, pressure is there, but it's definitely not like what you're describing and pressure is the name of the game, but Hey, we're, we're, it's really easy for me to do this and just start talking about, about anything under the sun going down rabbit holes, especially when it gets to mature deer and hunting pressure. But man, one of the things I really wanted to pick your brain on is, is your YouTube channel. Man, I have, uh, I started watching your YouTube channel this year and watched a lot of your videos and I'm in love with the content. Just not from a, not just from a, a hunting perspective, but, but just, I, I know how much work goes into making, a good quality you know viewer experience and different camera angles and i'm just infatuated with it because i know how much work you're doing i mean how long have you been running your youtube channel
0: well it's kind of been a it's been a journey really getting to the point that we're at right now so um i i've been in like experience with camera equipment and audio equipment and Stuff like that. I've got a background in uh, church ministry creative specifically creative aspects of church ministry. It's what I grew up doing. I, I was a, a worship leader for years um, for I mean up until last year I was a worship leader from the time I got out of high school until I was 30 years old and um, at and a big church so there's a, a high stand lots of cool equipment to learn. so I kind of got a, a good understanding for audio stuff then. I also did graphic design and video editing for the church as well. Um, So I've always learned how to do that. I've always been a big hunter but I never really merged them until uh, I would say like four and a half years ago. Maybe five. It could be five. Um, But I joined the Sportsman's Nation at the time which is now Sportsman's Empire with Dan. I, I think Southern Ground was one of the very first ones to join. And the time Dan's like, you know, I, I kind of was like, man, you know, I got this platform now. Should I start filming some of these hunts? Like, some really cool stuff happens. Like, maybe I should start filming. So I bought a camera. Then I'm talking to Dan Johnson about it, and he's like, bro, like, let's start a Sportsman's Nation YouTube channel. And I was like, that'd be cool. It's basically, basically the same concept as um, the podcast, you have a bunch of different creators with their own birds, and they post to this one channel, to this one feed. Like, that'd be cool, man. Well, what what ends up happening is, um, and it's nothing against Dan, it's nothing against anybody, I was very driven to do this thing. Like, I was very driven. I I bought all kinds of camera equipment that I already knew how to use, and I was creating, at the time, you know, video every week. I was killing a lot of deer, and so all these videos, so the, the sportsman's, nation youtube channel kind of became southern ground because uh dan talks about it regularly he doesn't care about filming it's not really his thing but there was a couple other people that were on there um who were not consistently putting out things because that was kind of the whole purpose is like none of us are going to consistently put out stuff but if all of us work together there will be consistent content on that page but i was like I'm consistent, right? Like, I'm like, I want to put out a video every week. I'm looking at analytics. I'm looking at revenue and subscriber numbers and all this stuff. And eventually, I, I reached out to Dan. And I was like, hey, man, I think the best option right here is going to be for you guys to keep this Sportsman's Nation YouTube channel. Um, and I'm going to start my own channel. I just kind of feel like most of the people who were, It was really confusing. It was a confusing thing. It's like, is Sportsman Nation Parker? Is it Southern Ground? Mm -hmm. Is that Southern Ground's channel? Because I was just putting out videos, a lot, a lot of different videos. And again, it's nothing to get Dan. It was just a different, it it was time to change. So I started my own own channel, Southern Ground Hunting, and uh, I did that two seasons ago. And just started kind of putting some of the older videos on there. And then through the last two seasons, obviously keeping my stuff um, consistent on there. And then this year, added another guy um, named Matthew Reeves, who has been a co-host on the podcast, and he's been um, he's been the the Southern Pursuit channel on YouTube, and uh, he joined forces with me, and so he's going to be uh, a, a member of Southern Ground Hunting this year, and putting a lot of his videos up right now, and like so this. This year is going to be kind of a, it could be a very, very content heavy season for us because we'll have two people. Matt tags out every year in Alabama on Good Bucks. And so, like, and, and typically I tag out on my three bucks and then I'll hunt Kentucky, Tennessee, you know, Texas, Florida. So, potentially have a bunch of other videos uh, from other states on there. So, um, but yeah, I've been doing it. I've been doing it for. Altogether, probably four or five years, I would say, to answer your original
1: question. I, I, I'd I, see how much work goes into like the, the amount of time it takes just on podcasting, I mean, podcasting takes some time, don't get me wrong. When you add in the video, I mean, what what multiplying factor would you use when it comes to creating a podcast and airing it versus creating a good quality hunting video and airing that?
0: Yeah, I mean, I'm doing both of them right now. So I do a weekly podcast and then try, I mean, during the summertime, it's hard. And even during turkey season, it's really hard to have a, a video every single week, which is why I added um, my buddy Matt to come on and help. Um, but I mean, you're legitimately talking, if, if you try to do a video every week plus a podcast every week, you're talking about, you know, at least a full work day maybe two full work days that you're saying, I'm going to invest this into this one thing that's not going to have a huge payback right now. Mm -hmm. And so like that was always the thing to me that was like, is this something I want to do for a living one day? If it is, then I will invest this time for free. But if it's not, if it's something I just want to do for fun, just for the heck of it, man, I don't know if I have the capacity to do it as well as I want to. Because, like, that's always my thing. Like, I want to do it really well. Whenever I do something, I don't want to do it halfway. I want to be the best at it. And so that's why I've always been that way with sports or anything. Like, my wife laughs at me because I don't, I will not go bowling. Like, most people go bowling. Nobody's a professional bowler. Like, hardly anybody's good at bowling. But I suck so bad at bowling, and I just won't do it. He's like, let's go bowl. I'm like, no, I don't want to go. I'm, I'm just gonna realize, <laughs> just gonna realize I suck at it even more, and I'm not gonna waste my time and my money on something that I'm terrible at. So I'm, I'm really competitive, competitive with myself, and, um, and so I, I, I really try hard to make sure that like all the videos that I do, all the podcasts, like I'm um, that I'm as good as I can possibly be, and. It comes with a lot of sacrifices, man. At deer camp while everybody's cutting up and having fun and drinking beer at the campfire, Parker's dropping footage, you know, and and trying to get some sleep because he has to get up early because or he's gotta go charge all the batteries. It's just it's so much, but to me, like this is something I wanna do, right? Like I'm getting closer and closer every single season to be able to do it for a job and so you know, I'm willing to put in a little bit of extra work, but it is, it's a lot, man. You start, like, again, when you start getting into January and February timeframes, and you've been filming and editing and hunting and trying to somewhere do work to actually make money, you're, and spend time with your family, like, it is very easy to say, yeah, I think I'm just not going to take the camera this time. Like, I'm going to drop the camera off. Or... I'm not going to film everything. Like if I make a video, it's going to be not as good for this, for this video because I'm just wore out.
1: If you're looking to simplify your food plot system while enhancing the quality of your soil, you need to check out Vitalize Seed Company. Vitalize provides top quality seed blends designed to fit into their one, two planting system. This system has been designed to allow highly diverse plant species to grow synergistically optimizing nutrient uptake and cycling the way god intended reduce your inputs build your soil and maximize the quality tonnage for the wildlife in your area find out more about this system and get your seed at vitalizedseed.com and be sure to check them out on instagram and facebook well and i think that's what a lot of people do like they watch YouTube. They watch TV shows. They watch whatever and think, man, that's going to be cool. I'm going to film my hunts too. And I'm not going to lie. I was there one time too. I mean, I have a cheap video camera. I thought, I'll just bring that with me and, you know, set it up on like a makeshift, uh, makeshift tripod or, or, you know, pod to put in the, in the tree stand with me. And I, I've I filmed a couple doe hunts. I filmed a, a buck I shot one time. And every time afterwards, like I, I, I watch it and I'm like, well, well this sucks <laughs> like it's not it's not like a it's it's great the only thing i really like doing now if, if i ever do film it is like it's great for that shot uh you know archery hunting it's great for that that shot response you know any any question you have i mean i, I know what goes through my mind so much when you've you let an arrow go and having that feedback of is your mind playing tricks on you? Did I actually see what I think I saw? Like that, that's huge in making you know decision for for wait times and stuff like that. But I mean, actually creating content and then sharing with people you know, if you want to share it with somebody, you know, friends and family, that's one thing. But like doing what you're doing, I think a lot of people really underestimate what it takes. I mean, I, I listened to an episode that you did, and you were talking about. Um, semi like doing semi live for a while and just the the grind that that takes and you like, it was just like I, w- I could hear the pain and frustration in your voice and I'm like I enjoy hunting too much to like let something like that like I, I feel like it would take the fun out of it for me
0: it absolutely does man like that specific time so it was this time four or five years ago it was my very first season of I'm gonna do this thing man. like I'm I'm going to film, and it's going to be awesome. Like, I was so fired up. I bought all this really nice stuff to use, and I knew how to use it. Like, it wasn't foreign to me because been using camera stuff for my whole life at the church. And, um, so I was really excited. I knew I was going to be able to create something great. And I kicked it off early season September opener in Kentucky, and I was like, we're going to do this thing. I'm going to put out a video every single day. Of this hunt. Like I'm going to film all day. I'm going to come home. I'm going to edit it together. Or come back to the cabin and edit it together. And upload it to YouTube that day. I'm going to do that every single day for this hunt. Bro, I'm telling you. That was the most miserable. It set such a bad standard for the rest of the year. It was like, I don't even want to touch my computer. Whenever mm-hmm. I go on. Like, like I'm just going to. I might not even make a video out of this. Like It it was it was not awesome. So that, that would be like a big piece of advice to somebody you always see people that really just go ball to the wall whenever they first decide they're going to start doing something new, whether it's saddle hunting or filming or public land hunting or whatever. And you want to act like you, you've been doing this for years, right? Like, you see this all the time on YouTube. Mm. Like somebody will be like, man, here's how, how to set up on big bucks here with a bow. And it's like, blah, blah, blah. They do all this stuff. They kill their big buck and then you find out it's the first big buck that they've ever it's the first buck they've ever killed with a bow. And you're like like, people don't like that. They don't respond well to that kind of stuff. Like, make sure that you have a system in place and that that's not the first time that you have done that thing, right? Otherwise you're going to be frustrated. There's a million YouTube channels out there of a group of guys that got really fired up really inspired by watching another creator and went all out and they have one video of one deer and then they never did anything again because that one video just burned them out because they didn't know what they were doing and they were trying to learn how to hunt and film and do all this stuff at the same time because they wanted to be THP, they wanted to be uh, the untamed, they wanted to be these, these figures and they didn't do diligence to the very first thing that you have to do is be an effective hunter without a camera. So for me that was very important. I'm not going to start filming. This is why I never meshed the hunting and filming beforehand because I didn't feel like I was a good enough hunter to go out and say I'm going to put videos of myself up. And once I did, once I developed and I'm still growing as a hunter. It's not like I'm Mm. the best hunter in the world, but I feel confident that I can go out and create good, solid video footage and see deer and kill deer. Like, but it's because I got there before I even picked up a camera. And so that's the, that's the number one thing, you know, going into that first season of filming in Kentucky, I realized even being an experienced person with a camera and with video editing and all that stuff, it still burns me hard. Not to the point where I where I uh, quit, but I think for most people, they have the, all these ideas of how it's going to be, and I say just like, start slow, kill a lot of deer, like learn how to kill deer, a lot of them. That's like, and I do it every year, I kick off the season usually, man, in Alabama, the first four does that walk out in front of me are in trouble because I'm gonna kill them like I'm gonna shoot at them they're gonna get a shot and it's gonna help me practice my filming it's gonna be help me practice my shot execution it's gonna help me practice my storytelling through the whole through that whole hunt like that's a big thing that people don't think about they think oh yeah I could film a deer when I kill it no dude you have to start telling the story when you wake up in the morning you have to you have to start telling the story you have to start filming things you have to set up a pretend story that it hasn't even happened yet because at the end of the day, you're still so dependent on the deer actually doing something um, and following the script of your story that you're trying to write. And like 99% of the time, they don't. So you wake up every single morning, get out of your truck, and you're filming, and you're setting this foundation for a great story, and then it doesn't happen. And so then the next day, you wake up, get out of your truck, you start telling the same story, you start walking in, you start filming B-roll, and it doesn't happen again. And then the next day, you're like, okay, I got to tell the story again. So you're setting it all up, and you're walking out of your truck, and you're filming all this stuff that you will literally never use, but the one time that it actually works out, like whenever it, it's probably going to be 30, you're going to do it 30 times before it ever actually works out. But whenever it does finally work out, if you stayed consistent, and you stayed um, you stayed hungry, maybe is the right word, for that story, that video will turn out to be absolutely amazing because you did it. And all these guys that you see on YouTube, all the THP guys, the Hushin' guys, uh, Untamed, Catman, well, whoever, they're setting up these stories every single day and you're not seeing it. All you're seeing is the one or three times that it actually worked out. But I promise you they've done it every single day and they've deleted a ton of footage just because it didn't work out that day. But they stayed with it. That's why people like the videos. I think that's why people like the videos that I put out is because, like, I try... I try to... Dude, there's so many gigabytes of footage that are thrown in my trash and deleted forever
2: Mm.
0: because I just... Nothing happened. Like, I tried to set up the storyline I've got so many cool shots that I took of me and my kayak and like b-roll stuff like really cool stuff that absolutely never got used because nothing happened yeah. so um, but I think that like if I could give a piece of advice to anybody as far as making good YouTube videos and you can tell the guys who who aren't doing this because they'll have a YouTube video that's like it cuts on when they see the deer and they're like, Oh man, couldn't get a shot on it then they shoot a deer and then the video's over. Like you gave up. Probably your first five times doing that this season probably pretty good and if you would have killed a buck one of those times that would have been great. But you stopped. You stopped filming. You stopped telling the story. You stopped really working hard to make sure that when it does happen, it's good. And I used to I had a buddy that was trying to film and every day he would send me footage and I'm like, dude, keep doing that. If you'll keep doing that, then eventually that just becomes part of your hunt. Like it just becomes like kinda of natural. I talk to the camera when I'm hunt, when I'm hunting. Mm-hmm. I take weird goofy shots when I'm in my boat. Uh, like it's just it's just a part of it to me. It's no longer like this huge task that I have to get done. It's just how I do it. And so Now that that's the case, it's almost it almost doesn't feel like as much work as it used to back in the day. Uh, But man, I'm telling you, like, it's not
2: It's not for the faint of heart.
0: No, if you find people that are doing it, that are sticking with it, um, especially if you find people that are sticking with it and continue doing it when they're not killing a lot of deer and they're not being able to produce a lot, like, dude, those people are impressive, man. Like, if I went through a whole season and Didn't kill anything, but I worked as hard as I do for filming. Couldn't
1: imagine trying Mm. to do that. Yeah, and I've been there. Like it's, it's got to be. It's it's like anything. Like if you want something to stick, you've got to develop a habit that it becomes natural. I mean, I think about like what I've done this year to just try to prepare for my season, get in better shape and feel better and do like this, like those daily lifestyle habits. Like I had to be deliberate in the things I did on a daily basis to like lose weight, be in better shape, all this stuff. So I mean you, you equate that to deer hunting and, you know, filming. Uh, it's the same thing. Like you, you've got to have a process. And I like your, what you said about taking it slow, but and you talk about film and having all the footage you have i mean you're usually running a couple different camera angles i mean tell me a little bit about like like, i i see it on your youtube channel but i can't fathom like the the madness behind what you're doing and how you're doing like what kind of cameras are you running what what kind of angles are you looking to, to get like like how does that all come together
0: Man, like, uh, I've got, so, uh, I'll show you three of my main cameras, so, this little guy right here is called the Insta360, I know people are going to be listening to this and not viewing it, but this is the Insta360 camera, and quite possibly one of the most valuable cameras I've ever purchased, it's just a little action camera, 360 degrees, it's got a lens on both sides that it stitches, um, the image together, so you basically get a, a giant sphere, so... A lot of the really cool shots that you see in my videos, like that like spin or have a really cool effect, is just with this Insta360 camera. And Genesis 3D printing uh, made this little contraption, this little mount, that you can put on your gear strap if you're a saddle hunter. You put it on your gear strap, and you can actually screw this selfie stick. You screw it to this little bolt that's on this mount, and it comes out on my left side, and basically overlooks everything. It's like right here and overlooks everything. And I set it to a, uh, I hook it up to a battery, an external battery, and put it on looping mode, and it runs the entire course of the time. So whenever something exciting happens, I'll stop recording and have that clip, and then I'll start recording immediately after. Um, this next camera that I have is the uh, Sony ZV-1. And it's just like a little point-and-shoot camera, like a vlogger camera type thing. And I'm actually going to use this a lot for um, uh, bow season this year because it's got it's got a pretty good zoom. It's like 24 to 70 lens. It's not interchangeable. It's a mirrorless camera, um, so it takes really good footage. Take high frame rate footage. And It's going to be perfect for bow hunting. Um, and I can also. It's small enough. It's a tiny camera that I can put in my pocket if I want to. uh, But I'll use it on a clip that'll strap onto my backpack so that I have a camera right there readily available at all times. Um, While I'm walking in, while I'm boating in, while I'm doing everything, I have a camera that's outside of my pack and ready to roll. And then my last one, my main camera, is the um, Sony uh, A7 III. And this one, of course, it has interchangeable lenses. I use a uh, 18 to 107 power zoom lens for most of my hunting, and like I'll use it this weekend in Tennessee for those longer shots. Um, and so you're at any given time. Plus, that that doesn't even count. Like the phone that you have in your pocket that takes pretty high quality footage. If I'm in a situation where I'm hiking in and scouting, and I don't have a camera right there with me, my phone is a perfectly good option to, you know, if I see a scrape or find a a patch of persimmons or something like that, something that I can just quickly take a a video of, and this is as good as any GoPro that you could find, plus you can zoom with it. Um, But then you do have, of course, you have GoPros. Like, I've got a GoPro Hero Session that I'll attach to my bow um, with a, a little mount that I got from a fella. If I can find it, I don't know where it's at. Oh, here it is. So, so, this is like a little stabilizer for my bow. I'll plug there. I'll screw that in where the stabilizer goes, and it's got a GoPro mount on the end of it. So, you got those. And I got flipping tacticams, and, I mean, there's so much stuff, and you start talking about all the different cards that you're having to drop footage from, all the batteries you've got to charge. I mean, dude, I've got a dang one pocket on my... Backpack that is completely dedicated to batteries, right? And like, because any one of those cameras go out, then it could affect the batteries run out. It could affect the quality of the hunt that you're gonna get to show. And seriously, man, like it sounds like a lot. I don't use all those for every single hunt, but they're there. They're I usually take them on every single hunt, just because if I need it, then I have the opportunity to use it. And so. If I were going to tell somebody just to start somewhere, I would say start with one camera to put on a tree, Um, whether it's a handy cam. Sony makes a great, uh, AX53 is the the name of the camera. It's it's arguably one of the best self-film hunter cameras that exist, especially for a beginner. It takes great footage. It's got good zoom. Um, Buy you a camera arm and a handy cam and maybe one GoPro and set up a second angle to look back at you and then just just go don't make it complicated don't make it more complicated than it needs to be especially starting out like i'm at a point now where i'm trying to find the best thing right like i'm trying to try new things but my first couple of years i was i took a camera and a gopro like a a handy cam and a gopro and that was it and made some great videos that way i think it teaches you to to be better with storytelling and I, th- I think people underestimate the, the the importance of storytelling. Like, the shot is really good. Get on film. Like, showing a video of a deer getting shot. That's great. People watch my videos, even if I don't get the shot on film. Because the storyline is still there. Like, you're literally still... Everything is the exact same. You just might not get a shot on camera. If I wasn't able to get it on the In frame. So...
1: Yeah, there's still something to take community. away from that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean. yeah, and
0: people still enjoy watching it. It doesn't if you if you tell the story good enough, your your video doesn't suffer just because you didn't get the shot of the film. If you tell the story good enough, so like watching these people who are successful um, at doing it, watching how they're wording things and the shots that they are and how they're describing where they're hunting and the situation and the times of the day that they're actually filming. Like, watch those things and say, how could I translate that to my own hunting style, my own my own video style that I'm going to do? And, uh, man, I, that's, that's helped me a lot, just watching how these people tell the storyline, and not even with hunting necessarily. Like, you can do that with all kinds of, like, look at a movie, any movie – has like a conflict resolution it has a climax in there somewhere um it has comic relief in it um it'll have some intense moments like watch how how these uh directors set up hollywood movies and try to do your own version of that like have show the problems that happen show the conflict that you're going through like man i can't flip and hit a deer to save my life right now Tanner Edinfield is a great example of this. Like he does a really good job of showing the the conflict on his YouTube channel. Um, Have bow will travel, and when he shows those things, it it makes him appear vulnerable. It makes him appear like there's a weakness in his system, and no man, especially macho deer hunting men, want to do that. They want to act like they're the freaking best at everything. Mm-hmm. But the reality okay. is, is people like Watching somebody experience a conflict, but also come up with a solution to the problem, and they like watching. If I missed five deer, people want to see that because it makes that one that I do hit when I did whenever I, whenever I finally kill one, it, it makes it that much more just special and intense. And viewers can feel that. And that's one, been one of the greatest things that I've ever done. Is say I don't care if somebody wants to comment and say, need to work on your shooting or need to work on killing bigger deer or you suck or, you know, all the stuff that freaking
1: keyboard warriors say. do. Yeah, exactly.
0: Yeah. Yeah. You can, all that stuff. Like I'm going to put myself in a place that sets me up for a successful video sets me up because the reality is, is most of those people watch the video still, so, you know, like even the people who have crap to say, they still gave you a view, and they gave you a comment. So, at the end of the day, that is what you're, you are trying to get the engagement. Um, promise you, Denzel Washington has critics, but you think Denzel Washington man, have to do anything to be live the life that Denzel Washington lives. Yeah, but he's also got critics. He's also got people mm-hmm. that, are, that are talking bad about him and his entire family, you know, whatever. That was the most random example I could think of, Denzel Washington. Um, but, <laughs> but seriously like you you create a storyline that gives people the opportunity to agree with you to disagree with you to celebrate with you to ridicule you like all of those things are good engagement regardless of if they hurt your feelings or your mom's feelings like they are good engagement and that's what you're looking for like you don't want i don't want everybody to watch my video and say great buck and then that's it. Then it's over. Like, I want them to say, bro, what the heck are you doing? Like, that that was dumb. That was a dumb thing. And I respond, well, the reason why it was, appeared to be dumb is because I ran into so-and-so and they told me to go over here to this area and blah, blah, blah. And then you've got this, these threads of engagement that you're getting that are just pushing your video, like, all over the place. I've shot small bucks. Just for the specific, like I shot that small bug in North Dakota mm-hmm. because I wanted a picture of a deer, regardless of what size. I wanted a picture of a of a deer on top of the tiny Chevy Spark rental car that I got um, <laughs> for that trip. Like I wanted that picture so bad, I didn't care if it was a doe, or a four or a big bug. Like at the at the last day of the trip, I was going to shoot the first deer I saw. And guess what? I got my picture, and guess what? Also, I got. I got ridiculed for it. So, but you know what? People watched it and they remember it and I had a great time and the experience was not at all hindered by the fact that I shot a small buck. It was increased because I got to do what I wanted to do, man. I got to shoot a deer in September in velvet and put it on top of a shoebox car. Like, um, and I feel like I'm rambling on it a little bit, but I think it, it is very important to, to remain vulnerable, transparent, and show the actual thing that
1: happened well the thing I can't stand anymore like I've watched there's certain channels I I watch because of the people but like the like if you if you read into this stuff you know that parts of the show are just bogus it's not truthful it's staged and uh, I, I think the thing I love about your channel and a lot of the other channels that you just named is it's real time it's uncut it's the truth. It's, it's the way it is. And I can relate to that because, um, man, nothing about my hunting is, is anything staged. That's for sure. And I have way more blunders. And I think that's why most people, you know, don't even want to bother bringing the camera in the first place, because, you know, <clears throat> I think back to, you know, I, I hunted all season last year and, uh, missed one buck, one mature buck, didn't get it done. And, uh, that was it. That was the only encounter with a mature buck that I had. And uh, I I mean, I think about that, like you said about be good at killing deer first and then consider it. Well, I, I, am probably going to go my whole hunting career and I'm never going to be like, you know what? I I think I'm at the point now where I'm really good at killing mature deer. I think I'm going to, I I just don't think my mindset is ever going to get to that. Um, even though it, it would be something cool to contribute, what, there's there's a ton we could probably cover we're, we're we're yammering about this for a long time and i love it i uh watching you with a saddle and, and the camera setups i've seen guys use with the saddle like in my mind that actually looks harder than out of a tree stand i don't know if it is but like watching sure. the way you set it up and and i'm i'm relating this to the way you know my experience with saddle hunting like i've I am no expert saddle hunting. I'm very, very much a novice and I've only used it, um, sparingly on public land where it, it fit the shoe kind of deal. And what I've grown, uh, really, really comfortable doing is using a ring of steps. I like that maneuverability around the tree and kind of using the tree for covering this and that. And, uh, you use a, a platform and a lot of people have gravitated towards using a platform um, maybe that makes it easier because you are stationary. You just might not have the same maneuverability. I mean, what's been your experience with your camera angles and that, like, are you just thinking ahead of time when you set that tree up? Like I have to have my camera arm set up this way because I'm expecting deer movement to come this way. I mean, I'm thinking too, on that weak side shot, you know, I'm assuming a lot of time your camera's on the weak side. Like it just looks like it's a lot going on when I look at a camera angle in, in your show and a lot of other people's show.
0: Yeah, so um, it really isn't that bad. I, I still have 360 degree shooting capability around my tree. Um, usually, if it, I'm going to use some saddle hunter lingo here, so anybody who's not a saddle hunter may not quite understand it. Um, but when you're set up looking straight forward at the tree, I'm going where I want the wind to blow to is going to be about at my four o'clock. Right, so, so kind of the weak side, weak side behind me, just a little bit. That's kind of where I'm setting up to say, I don't want a deer to come from that direction because already that's going to be my hardest as a right-handed shooter. Shot as a right-handed shooter, it, it's my four o'clock. I, I'm already limited by this camera here, um, so I'm just going to try to make my wind go that way, if I, if at all possible. That's going to be my. Least likely place a deer is going to come from. Um, That's not to say that it never happens. It definitely happens where they come from that direction. But, you know, you just kind of... You you try to adapt and you try to set up for that shot. Um, Here's how I set up. I have my camera arm set up. I use the Longworth Custom Gear pocket arm. I have it set up about waist level. Um, When I'm standing straight up on my platform, it the camera ends up sitting up just a little bit higher than that. And so it's kind of right there at my comfortable, you know, comfortable to get it around the tree in between me and the tree, between my stomach and the tree. If I need to, um, sometimes I can pull it up underneath my bridge. Um, I have full maneuverability, maneuverability of my camera when it's in that spot. Um, but what, the way I set up my platform and my stick, my stick, My top step of my stick is parallel, or is that the right word? It's even with the the platform. Mm. So, so if I have my platform coming out, you can see a little bit different. If it's coming out of the tree, I'll put the stick on the left side, even with the top of the platform. So basically, what I have is I can walk all the way around that left side of the tree. To shoot around the tree, still have not get in the way of my camera, and shoot that weak side area. Shoot to my right. Um, And that's that's pretty much how I always set it up. If it's a skinny tree, then I may not do it that way on a skinny tree because I can just kind of push off of my platform Mm -hmm. and shoot around the tree. But most of the time, I'm going to have that top step of the top stick, even with my platform, so I can walk around the tree. Similar to the same concept, it's like a, a ring of steps. You have a half a ring of steps, basically. And if you have a half, if, if, if you can walk half of that tree diameter, then you can pretty much shoot anywhere, any, any, any shot out of that tree. So that's kind of how I'm always setting up. I've never had any issue filming out of a saddle. I have had issues filming out of a tree stand. Um, okay. I shot a deer in, in Kentucky last year. Um, on my buddy's lease. So long story, I missed a giant buck on public. I shot a a good one on public the day before and didn't recover it. And so I was kind of in a bad place. My buddy's like, hey, go hunt my lease. It'd be easy. You can find a spot. Ended up shooting a buck on on that lease. And I was in one of his tree stands trying to set up my dang camera and do everything. And like, dude, it was a cluster. It was terrible um, because I wasn't used to it. So that goes to my next point of like, if you will set up a system, if you will figure out your system for filming, regardless of what you're using, it might be a tree stand, might be a saddle, whatever. If you hunt on the ground, find the system and work it to death. Like, figure out how it works the best way, and get the best, um, the best bang for your buck, I guess. Uh, with your, with your filming system. There's, there's easy, if I, if I film from a tree stand, a hundred percent of the time, I would probably say, yeah, man, filming from a tree stand's is easy. Saddle hunting is where you get hard at, because i just, you know, that's what I'm.
1: Right. That's what you've grown you accustomed to. to.
0: Yeah, you just learn how to do it.
1: Like I've, and you said about creating a system, as I was listening to you go through with all your different cameras, your camera angles, your batteries, this and that, like, I have a heck of a time throughout certain parts of the season. Like as the seasons are changing, the temperatures are changing. Like I might be packing different clothing. I might have a walk, like finding a system just with my hunting gear in the first place. Like that's a chore in and of itself for me. So like you add in the the camera side of things, like in order to be efficient with that. Um, The last question I really had, and you don't need to go too long on this one, but I, I mean, where would you get anybody started on, editing, because that is huge. I mean, that's the biggest part of it, and there's a lot of people that would point a camera and shoot and not have a clue what they're doing with it afterwards, and, like, it's, that's probably where a lot of the uh, the people get lost in the weeds.
0: Yeah, editing is, uh, I, I don't enjoy it, you know what I mean? Like, it's one of those things, like, every once in a while I'll have a video, like, the gator hunt that I just did. That was a fun edit. Like I was literally excited about editing that video. Um, a lot of times, especially self film hunts, you're having to really work hard in the edit process to make sure it flows right. And because you're filming, you're the cameraman and the hunter and the subject of the whole thing. So it's it it can be hard work to make it um, to make it good and the way that I say is don't don't get crazy with it learn basics YouTube is your friend in learning how to do anything these days so go and say like basic video editing for stupid people like type that into YouTube <laughs> um, and somebody has come up with something to t- to show you how to get started on editing whether it's in iMovie or Adobe Premiere, or Adobe Rush, or, you know, Final Cut, whatever, um, there's something there for you. So, I would say do that. Don't get carried away. Just make simple things. I I think uh, uh, watch channels like uh, Catman Outdoors. Um, Catman is insane, because his videos are so good, and he doesn't have a background in video editing. Like, he's He's not ever doing anything crazy fancy. You know, it, it's pretty entry level as far as his edits and like stuff are concerned. But his storylines are always so good. Um, his content is good. He's teaching you things. Um, and he's like, watch guys like that and be like, okay. He's not doing anything crazy. He's not a Hollywood producer. Right? He's just a guy with a camera and he's learned how to film a style that works for him and watch people like that, man. And, and make it just grow in it. Make them, make your first video. All you do is just cut stuff and put it in a timeline and go and export it. Um, that's the easiest way to do it. And sometimes I have videos that I do even still where I'm like, man, I didn't even do anything. this, But the the storyline was so good. You didn't have to, um, you know, and then just grow from that. Like, so you got your first video done, and you're like, "That's cool." Maybe you watch one of my videos, and you're like, "Hey, I love how he used some like graphic, uh, graphic design type stuff, or I love the the animation of his transitions or whatever." Then go to YouTube. How to make a how to make a jumpy, glitchy transition between shots in Premiere Pro. Somebody's made a video on that on how to do it. And that's how I learned, man. I was just gradually learning. I learned basic stuff, was proud of it. Then I decided I wanted to learn how to do something a little bit different. So I would Google how to do that, figure it out, do that for a while. Then, I mean, by the end of it, you can, you know, hopefully the goal is is that you have a video that looks as good as anything real trees put out. Um, and, and most of those people. They just learned, they learned on their own. I know a lot of guys in the filming world of hunting, and most of them don't have a formal education in it. They just taught themselves. They just kind of had an eye for it. They knew what they wanted, and they knew how to put it into words. And they would write it down in Google, and Google would teach them
1: yeah. how to do it. School of Hard Knocks. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's it's... When I think about the level of detail that I try to put into shooting a mature buck, and then adding all of what you just talked about with a camera, and then making that a cinematic—you know, you know—what's? Uh, uh, oh my God, I can't even say the word I want to use. The, cinematic. Yeah, cinematic. Thank you. Making it a cinematic thing for people to view, uh, like uh, that just it just overwhelms me. It really does. Because, I mean, I think about the things that go into some of the deer I've killed and then adding that one more layer. And I don't know if I would have had the capacity to get it done in that case, but, um, you know,
0: to that, like,
1: I would say this,
0: it, you'll learn very quick. if You've got it. Like if you've got the bug or if you just want a little bit of recognition and don't know how to do it. And, and I don't mean that. I don't know. I don't mean that like negatively, mm-hmm. like everybody, every kid that loves deer hunting watches, these guys on YouTube, and they're like, I want to do that, you know? Who doesn't want to be a movie star? Who doesn't want to be a professional athlete? Who doesn't want to be recognized for doing something great? We all do, but some people just haven't found that thing yet. So, like, some people are going to listen to this podcast, they're going to go buy a camera, and they're going to be like, crap, I hate every part of it. <laughs> and if that's you, then don't do it, you know? like, Just don't do it. Maybe if you want if you want to build a brand, maybe start a podcast. See if that's the thing. Or start a t-shirt company. Make some cool designs for a t-shirt. Or, you know, whatever. Like, there's there's all kinds... Of, there's guys out there right now who are not doing anything in the digital space. But everybody knows their name in the hunting world. Um, because they're just good deer hunters. Maybe that's, maybe that's who you, you want to be. You know, be the guy that is a guest on every podcast. Or, like, whatever... Um. Don't do it if it's not fun. Like for me, it is actually fun. I have frustrating moments, and there's uh an amount of work that goes into it that maybe I don't always like. But man, it the payoff is is amazing. I love watching that last that final edit of a video and uploading it to YouTube and watching what people say about it. Like it is so much fun for me. Um. To where like. And if I shoot, I, I haven't shot a deer that I just didn't film anything on in a long time. But I don't think the experience would be the same for me if I didn't have a camera. Like, I, I, I really, really value being able to go back and watch videos. Like, my dad, um, he hunts with me every year. And uh, I'm pretty excited about it this year because we're going to get to hunt together a little bit more. But the first couple times that we shot a deer together, one of us killed a deer and I was I started filming hunts. And Dad was like, this is stupid. Can we just go back to camp already? My God, do you have to get that last video clip? Do you have to get that drone shot of the deer in the boat? Like, he was getting so frustrated a couple times because, like, for him, it doesn't, like, he loves watching the videos and stuff. But for me, like, that's such a big part of it. I'm going to spend two hours. After I kill a buck, guarantee I'm going to spend two hours in the woods getting cool shots. Like, it's just going to happen. I'm going to sit down. I'm going to take good shots. I'm going to take my time. I've got till dark. You know, like, and if I've got till dark, then I might use up all that time. As long as I get home at a decent hour today, like, I'm going to use up all that time. And, uh, because that shot is so valuable to me, but whereas, you know, t- when I go with it, pretty much, it's not just my dad, pretty much anyone else that doesn't film, they're like, can we just go? Can we leave? No. Well, we got to make this thing good. I just, I see it. there's so much value in it for me. I go back every season and watch all my videos again, especially the ones with me and my dad. I know one day, whenever he's dead and gone, I'm going to really find a whole lot of value and be able to watch those hunts together. Um and, and and that's important to me like the views are cool and you know I want to do this one day for a living and that's all good and grand but man the whole experience of being able to go back and relive it is is unmatched for me I love it
1: and I, I think I'm going to wrap my final thought up on the whole thing in this general sense that you got to do what you want to do because you want to do it and don't be doing it for anybody else. Um, you, you're, you're filming hunts in a way you're filming for people, but you're doing it because it's what you want to do. You're not, you're not, nobody's forcing you to do this kind of deal. And, you know, I think about that in any aspect of hunting. Like I just, I just got responded to an email about a, an episode that Josh Raley from uh Wisconsin sportsman and I just did. We were talking about managing, uh, managing your, your priorities in life in conjunction with, with all your, your hunting, your, your passion of hunting. And, you know, Josh and I, and, you know, you're the same way. Like we're all, I I try to live, you know, God, family, friends, you know, and put, put my priorities first, then somewhere down the line is, is hunting. And it's, it's easy to say it doesn't always get well executed, but, um, you know, I, I responded to this guy, you know, he was, he was appreciating that episode. And I just said, you know, I said, there are times when I sit back and I just think, man, I want to be like the biggest badass bow hunter, getting it done, all this, all this and that, and push this content. But at the end of the day, the, the, the truth and the reality is, it's not me. It's just not going to be, I'm going to do the best that I can with my ability and and what my passion is. And and I'm going to, you know, you know, especially with this podcast, I mean, want to do the the best I can with our show, but at the end of the day, whatever that looks like for you. And you could go down any rabbit hole you wanted from the type of deer you shoot, the type of equipment you shoot, where you hunt, how you hunt. It's just do you and have fun with it. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Yeah. Go out and have fun. And I think that's why, like, I think that's why my videos resonate with people. Um, I think that's anybody who you see who's, doing well in the video space. It you you can obviously tell that they're enjoying it. Like people that stuff's contagious through those videos. People experience it the way you do. If all you're doing is sitting there being pissed off at yourself or um, being mad or you're not having a good time, people are gonna tell that and you're not gonna do very well in that space. And it it's gonna translate. So like go out and have fun. That's the that's the number one thing to do is like go out and enjoy the time that you get to spend and if that's with a camera then great and if it's not and you figure that out like it's not bad it's not wrong nobody everybody doesn't have to be a content creator like some of us just can go out and enjoy it and that's okay too
1: you betcha Parker, uh, you got, uh, probably some stuff going on here to get ready for your trip tomorrow and probably some last minute family time here. I don't want to take any more of your time than, uh, than I have to. I really appreciate you, appreciate you coming on, chatting about us, chatting about your season, chatting about, you know, hunting mature bucks and, uh, talk about filming hunts because it's, uh, it's definitely a hot topic now.
0: Yeah, absolutely, man. Well, I appreciate you having me on and yeah, I've got a, I've got a, uh, like I said, that first deer hunt of the season coming up this week. I'm leaving tomorrow, and it's gonna be rough. 90 degree temperatures, um, sunny the whole time, mosquitoes, ticks. But I get to use a rifle for this hunt, which is kind of cool. Really, I get to use a rifle rifle for this hunt, this August uh, velvet hunt in certain zones of Tennessee, the CWD areas, you can, you can use a rifle on. on the Interesting. Hunt. So, I mean. It's a cool opportunity. You know, I have a buddy a couple years ago, uh, one of the co-hosts on the show actually, killed a 164-inch buck on public land, opening day of the Velvet Hunt. So it's like, anything is possible on this hunt. Like, you legit have a chance of being able to kill a world-class white Um More than likely, you're not. (laughs) More than likely, you're not going to see anything because it's hot and stupid and miserable. But... There's a good like if you see a buck, there's a good chance it could be a good one before they're they're really uh, pressured. So I've got a lot to get ready. I'm trying to figure out if I'm on a saddle hunt or ground hunt or anything like that. I gotta get all my camping stuff done. But that's I do
1: exciting. I am I am pumped up to see those videos because they'll be good. And you know the, the the thing you brought up when you talked about heat, mosquitoes, and everything else. The one reason I could probably never be a really really good hunter, especially in the south. Is I cannot stand snakes.
0: <laughs> yeah, they're they're real out here. I mean, you, uh, yeah, I hunted in North Dakota last year, and they were like, "Yeah, we don't have snakes." It's like what? So I can just walk through this tall grass and not have to watch my stuff. It's out here, dude, it's like, I mean, I don't, I've never been bit by a snake or anything like that, but they're there, you know. You Just gotta be careful.
1: Yeah. Well, good deal. Hey, good luck, and I can't wait to see you get it done. So good luck this season.
0: I appreciate it. Thank you.